We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. I would put myself in the same category as D Wade. Now Artest is flipped over the scores table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to Monday, October 22nd edition of the Rotoware NBA podcast sponsored by DraftKings. My name is Joe Bartle, and alongside me today is Alex Brutha. Alex, how's it going today? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I mean, we're ready to talk some NBA, and of course, we're kickstarting the NBA season. We're only what, three games for most teams at this point, so yeah. a lot of, well, there's not a lot to talk about because there's a lot of things that are still going on. We don't know what's really happening with the season. That's That's the beauty of the NBA season right now is that there's still a lot of things to discuss and a lot of things to figure out. The only thing that feels certain is the pace of the game is going to be faster than what we really ever seen historically. Yeah, and I think part of that is the offensive rebounding rule where if you get an offensive rebound, the shot clock only resets to 14 seconds. A lot of people thought that wouldn't change things too much, but it seems like it is is having some effect on the game. And also I think more teams are just playing in the style of the Warriors or of the Rockets where there's just more three-pointers being shot, especially in transition that can result in some like 
six second possessions. Um, and so, yeah, I think in that way we're, we're seeing all, um, we're, we're probably going to see a lot of pace records be broken this season. And yeah, so you're saying you're not anticipating that it's going to change. It's going to carry on throughout the year, right? That would be, that would be my guess. Um, especially, yeah, w- with what we're seeing, everyone, like I said, everyone's shooting threes, everyone's getting the ball up quickly. Um, I, I'm not sure what would cause it to change back down. I mean, maybe as we get in the middle of the year and players are just a little more worn down, yeah, it slows down that way. But I think I think this increased pace for the most part is is here to stay. It's crazy to think teams like the Jazz and Grizzlies, who maybe not historically, but certainly for the last five to ten years, have just really slogged down and, and slowed the game down. And that was the way these teams ended up winning are now scoring over 100 points, and we're seeing them run up and down the court. And guys like Ricky Rubio aren't just dishing out passes but kind of jacking up three-pointers on occasions. And just it's it's a different game um, than I think a lot of people have been expecting or have been able to see in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think the Grizzlies are actually a great example because they play this they, – they they have been like, you know, grit and grind Grizzlies. That's who they are. But they – now with Jaron Jackson Jr. at the four and the other pieces that they have around – I mean, they don't have necessarily great wing players, but they have wing players that shoot threes. The Grizzlies can run a modern five-out offense. I mean, they can have every player on the court be able to shoot threes, and they can play this like just modern, spaced-out game, and they can bring the pace up instead of having it. You know, they post up Marc Gasol. It's kind of a slow thing. Mm-hmm. When Zach Randolph was there, it was just you eat twenty seconds of the shot clock, <laughs> try to get a layup or a post hook. They don't even. I mean, they don't even have to play like that anymore. Um, so I think even a lot of teams that historically have been slower paced teams, just with the way that rosters are evolving, just kind of are, are becoming, uh, inherently faster. Well, I think this is a great launching point into the first discussion that I wanted to have for the podcast here is that we've seen a number of rookies do well through these first couple of games. Obviously we're doing this podcast on Monday. So Sunday, Trey Young scored 35 points and 11 assists and went over the Cavs and, He's obviously looked pretty impressive, scored over 20 points in each of the last two games and has nearly registered back-to-back double-doubles. But then again, you just mentioned Jaron Jackson and what he's meant to that Grizzlies offense. And we have the number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, that's still kind of doing things out there. And he had a fantastic opening uh, start to his career. And Donacic, too, 26 points, six boards, uh, and 14 boards through two games. against. uh, Just like there's a lot of different guys out there. Which rookie to you has been the most impressive, maybe playing-wise, but also what he's meant to the team? Uh, I would say Trey Young, and that that may be I might be biased towards that because I had I had real doubts about Trey Young's ability to play well right away in the NBA. Um, I wasn't like a complete doubter; like I didn't think he was gonna like flame out of the league in like two years or anything like that. But he committed a lot of turnovers in college, um, and so I was worried about that uh, that translating to the NBA. And it's actually kind of been the opposite. Uh, he hasn't turned the ball over a lot through three games. He's averaging 23 points, 8.3 assists, and only 2.7 turnovers. And I haven't looked at like the assist to turnover ratio leaderboard or anything like that. But my guess is he's very close to the top, if not at the very top. Um, he's shooting a respectable 45% from the field, um, essentially 40% from deep. I wasn't. I knew. He, I knew he was going to shoot a lot. I wasn't expecting him to take 18 shots a game. Well, that's the thing. That's that's exactly the thing for me. I, I I thought he'd be better than a lot of people were making him out to be. I was surprised he fell as far as he did in the NBA draft. But here again, you look at the Hawks lineup. You guys like Kemp Bazemore, Tareem Prince, John Collins, Dwayne Dedman. That's your starting four alongside Trey Young. Mm-hmm. 
And I still thought he wasn't going to be as impactful offensively as he is right now. And I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it was. Maybe I was just worried with what other procrastinators were kind of saying about what Trey Young could be as an NBA professional. But you look at that lineup, and he's like, oh, no doy. Of course he was going to be into this because they don't really have anybody else. No, and you know he didn't get off to a great start in summer league. I think that kind of yeah, was bringing people's opinions down, especially come like draft day in your fantasy leagues. You saw Trey Young slip eighty ish, ninety ish range. Um, but yeah, I mean their their offense is is pretty thin. I mean they I'm a I'm a huge fan of Torian Prince. He's playing really well. He's averaging twenty one five and three with almost two steals. Um, but yeah, and he he handles the ball a lot for them surprisingly. Um, but yeah, Trey Young is, like you said, one of their main sources of offense. And I think it's so soon into his NBA career. That's that's a surprise right. to me so soon. But again, you look at that lineup, it's like, oh, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I, I was going to bring up the Torian Prince thing. And mm-hmm. we're probably going to end up talking about this a lot as we continue to do the podcast throughout the year. But of course, there is this 20 uh, team auction league ESPN uh, league that most of the offices in. I mean, it's not just the NBA guys here at Rotowire. We have a couple of tech guys in there. We have a couple of people that generally be doing NFL or MLB right. stuff. And here they are. I mean, it's a free league, so that makes it a little bit easier. Yes. But the big prize is this massive championship belt that unfortunately has been sitting on Shannon's desk uh, all of last year. That's what we're all fighting for at this point. Tareem Prince was one of those guys in that auction draft when we had it, I think, last week, Tuesday, uh, that went for 5 or $10 more than I ever would anticipate. I think he was around a 18 to 25 range guy. And this mm-hmm. was towards the end of the draft. Do you think that he can actually capitalize on the kind of value? I mean, talk about fantasy owners now that might be looking at Prince. This feels like maybe we're getting a, a surge of potential for him. I think I think that's very legitimate. I mean, people people had him as kind of a, a sleeper coming into the year, um, which I think was appropriate. I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, you, you look at his numbers and you hear the name Torian Prince, and you're you're not exactly thinking 21 points a game. No, no, not at all. Like that. But he's taking 15 shots, and his percentages aren't amazing. And so that is what gives me actually hope that he can sustain this is because he's he's shooting 47, 48% from the field and 36% from three, which aren't crazy numbers. Those are right. relatively standard numbers for the wing player, you know, who, who is a good three-point shooter. And so I feel like this is, this is pretty much here to stay. Um, and I would be confident that this kind of production is generally what we can expect from Prince moving forward. Well, again, back to the point that we were making earlier with Troy Young, there are not a lot of scorers on this team. There's not a lot of ball handlers on this Hawks team. And if they are playing at the pace that the rest of the NBA is playing, and if they are shooting the way the rest of the NBA is shooting, generally somebody is going to have to succeed other than Trey Young, right? <laughs> right. I mean, he's their second best player, and they're probably going to play at top five pace would be my guess for right. the whole year so it's that's pretty much guaranteed value. they have nothing to lose right i mean they're right. they're expected to be one of the worst teams in the eastern conference entering the season of course they're gonna kind of run with their young guys and sort of find situations for them to thrive yeah that, that's 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 really the only way that you can look at it at this point and i'll go back to that rookie question uh we obviously i think we're kind of both unanimous on Trey Young as the most impressive rookie through the first two or three games. Is there a guy that you feel is head and shoulders above at number two for the most impressive rookie? Not right now. No, I think I think uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is kind of TBD, although he could make a strong case now that J. Michael Green right. is out for essentially exactly. a month or two. Um, we saw Doncic kind of struggle in his debut, but then play really well. 
um, in his most recent game. And then DeAndre Ayton was the opposite story where we saw him play really well in his debut and then he didn't play well against the Nuggets. And granted, Nikola Jokic is not an easy matchup. Right. For he, You can't move him like if you're on the block. So, um, but yeah, I I don't think there is a clear number two right now. I'm I'm leaning towards Jaron Jackson, and maybe it's because I had Shannon in my ear, or at least in the office a little bit earlier, talking about how much he loved him and and how he was excited to get him in that 20 team auction league or close to it, and he was having to fight with James Anderson for for <laughs> that guy in there. And it's it's one of those things where, again, you talked about Jamichael Green out with that broken jaw for what is expected to be three or four weeks. This is a situation where he can vault into that conversation, and I believe, frankly, challenge Trey Young to be in that. I don't. He can't really say Rookie of the Year in the first month, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, that conversation he can get to that point. We saw the potential in just 28 minutes against the Hawks, where he had that 24 points and seven rebounds, and he's also had three blocks too. I mean, that Grizzlies offense is revolutionized with Triple J right now, and I, I think that's why I, I'm excited to see what he can do for the rest of the season, or at least in this three four weeks. Yeah, me too. I mean, he he might be he might be their third best player. I'm I'm kind of looking, I'm kind of eyeballing their roster right now. You have Mike Conley, Marcus Saul, Jaron Jackson, and then you're kind of into this like it's Kyle a, it's Anderson. a quagmire. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The, I think he's unquestionably their third best player. To me, the the real question becomes at the end of the season, and I anticipate the Grizzlies aren't going to be that good, especially in the Western Conference. At the end of the season. Where is Jaron Jackson as far as the Grizzlies' best player? Is he number one because Mike Conley and Gasol have been traded? Is he number one because he's just ascended to that level? Or is he still around that two or three range and they're going to run back that team and hopefully make a seventh or eighth place finish in the Western Conference? Right. That's a that's a tough question to answer because I don't really think this team is good. No, like neither, a lot, do you know I, I mean? neither do like I. A lot, a lot of people like wanted to talk, and, and the Grizzlies – and I understand as an organization really felt like they could make a push and be the eighth seed or the seventh seed, or at least just make it. And when you kind of sit down and look at their roster compared to the other rosters in, in the Western conference, there's only so much coaching can get you. Right. And there's only so much that, you know, kind of aging pseudo all-star players at this point in their career can get you. Um, And yeah, uh, triple J I think is, is a very high upside player. Um, a lot of people thought he should have been drafted over Marvin Bagley right? Um, for long-term upside. And he kind of reminds me and I think a lot of people of, of Miles Turner in the mold of a three-point shooting shot-blocking center. And that's very modern build of center. It's a, it's a type of center that has a high ceiling as a fantasy player, kind of a Joel Embiid type situation. Right. Um, and he's going on the block too. So I think overall, yeah, I'm, I'm really high on, on I think the, Jackson. the Grizzlies are going to be one of those under the radar, intriguing teams to monitor throughout the season. Again, we talked already how that team just looks different, how they've acted different defensively, offensively. This is a different Grizzlies than we've come to know for the last couple of years. Does that mean they can find that seventh or eighth seed? I don't know. I, I think the Western conference is incredibly deep. And of course they also added LeBron James to the mix too. And mm-hmm. LeBron hardly ever misses the playoffs. Right. You know, like that's just, statistically speaking i'm not a huge fan of the lakers team as a whole but you sure. can't really argue against lebron's potential and what he provides that so there's only a limited amount of spots available like if this is mm-hmm. an eastern conference team i think the grizzlies probably could be a five or six seed and yeah. it along with the hornets i think those are the two teams if you put on the different conferences that i'm intrigued to watch as far as sneak into the playoffs or their pursuit of the playoffs because if they don't the Grizzlies kind of are a linchpin, I think, for the trade deadline. And again, we are 
three or four months away from that even being a possibility. I know. I but love Mike, trade discussion, though. So oh, he, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. All right, so we're yeah. on the right, right page here. <laughs> but like Mike Conley, I think, is still a fantastic player. His contract is massive. I get that. But right. I think he's a very, very, very solid player at the point guard spot. And I think Marcus, Marcus Gasol could add something for a contending team, too, even if it's a sixth man off the bench type of deal. Mm-hmm. So... Again, I, I'm I'm very fascinated to watch what the Grizzlies will do this season, if for no other reason than it impacts a lot of other teams and what happens throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, uh, they they kind of got ran over in their first game by <laughs> Indiana, who then got ran over by Milwaukee. Yes, the Bucks. So uh, that was not a good look for the Grizzlies when you lose to a team by 30, and then that team basically loses by 20 or 30. Um, so yeah, I, I am interested to watch them. Like I'll tune into some Grizzlies games cause they are going to be entertaining. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if they actually have playoff aspirations and a lot of that may actually ride on like the Jimmy Butler situation. True. If Jimmy Butler goes East, then you have basically another spot opened up. Cause I'm going to assume that if Jimmy Butler's off the wolves, they're not making the playoffs. They might. But I'm going to assume that they're, they won't. That's, that's a fair assumption, but I will just pose to you the Bill Simmons-Ewing theory, and I, I'm a, a huge fan of Bill Simmons, so I will continue to support that, where maybe the T-Wolves do better in some weirdo, wacko universe where Jimmy Butler's traded, and they kind of can revolve around that and, and galvanize and, and get to 7th, 8th seed. But I would agree with you. The odds and statistics tell you Jimmy Butler traded, you're not going to be as good of a team. That's, that's how it works when right. you lose an all-star caliber player. All right, so let's just talk about those undefeated teams so far. There are six remaining, and again, super small sample size. We have two or three games for most of these teams. Which one of those six undefeated teams is the most surprising to you as far as their record currently? Um, I would say Detroit. Um, I I think that's fair. (laughs) They don't really count as an undefeated team in my opinion, but that's fair. I'll I'll go there. Right. I mean, I I think the the remaining teams are essentially playoff teams or – I mean, Portland is is kind of a question, and I feel people have doubts about Denver and New Orleans, so I, I guess I shouldn't lock them into the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, Detroit they um, they they weren't they did not win easily. They beat Brooklyn by three points, and then they beat Chicago by two points, and barely beating Brooklyn and barely beating Chicago <laughs> is not promising. Really, those that... are the least <laughs> those are the least encouraging two close victories that you could possibly that you could possibly get. Um, and, you know, I think I just worry, you know, you ca- you have to kind of just worry about the the ceiling of their roster as far as, you know, uh, their best players are injury prone is part of an issue. And they're really relying extremely heavily on Reggie Bullock, Stanley Johnson, and Luke Kennard on the wings. And that doesn't feel safe. Those are three players that I would absolutely not want to heavily rely upon if I'm trying to win basketball games, no. frankly. I mean, that's, that's the thing. When I was first writing this up, I had put five undefeated teams because it was pretty clear, you know, the Raptors, Bucks, Nuggets, Pelicans, Trailblazers. We've talked about those and we've heard about those guys for quite a bit now in these first couple weeks of the season. Mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten about the Pistons. I don't really feel like they count as an undefeated team, particularly because they were, you know, taken to the wire against the 0-2 Bulls and the 1-2 Nets. And yes, the Nets maybe have playoff aspirations, right. but if you were to you know put all 30 teams into one seed, I don't think the Nets are among the 16 best teams, right? No. Right. So th- th- again, I understand that they might fight for a playoff spot, but they aren't that great of a team yet. And certainly the Bulls are in some sort of massive quagmire that we don't really understand yet what that roster can be. So I'm not I'm not thrilled with the Pistons. My answer to the question would be, the, the Nuggets. I mean, we knew what the Nuggets could do as far as potential goes. They were 
one game away from making the playoffs last year, and that was a very competitive Western Conference. But here we have them actually having the best defense overall. And that was surprising to me to see the Nuggets be as successful defensively as what we've seen. We know the offense is there. And obviously Jokic's uh, career performance where he had the perfect field goal percentage and triple-double and all that, that's great. That's a great storyline. But I actually think that defense, I think, can continue. When you talked about the pace of the game and how it's changing, why not in Denver be the one place where the defense and the pace can't happen, right? I mean, there's... There's so many other factors that can make Denver difficult. We could talk about the recreational uses of certain things that could slow production. Uh, obviously, the thin air too in Denver, right. at least home games. Like you can cater your your defense to that home city, and I don't think there's many other places that you can really say that for. So I'm actually surprised to see Denver do as well as they are on the defensive end. Offensively, I knew they'd be a pretty good team, and right. I'm excited to see what they can do throughout the rest of the Western Conference. They held the Warriors to 98 points last night that was a great game um the warriors uh were very frustrated with the with the refereeing during yes. that game yes uh, which they usually happen to be when the game when they're losing games i feel like that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a shot at the warriors there. this is a little bit of a shot at the warriors <laughs> all the games they lose the refs just happen to be really uh poor uh so yeah but i i mean i'm i'm high on the uh, on the nuggets in general no pun intended and because i i think <laughs> I mean, they lost. They lost some bench help, right? I mean, right. They, Wilson Chandler is gone, and but I I do like. I mean, their starting five. I love their starting five. I'm a huge Jokic guy. I think Millsap. Um, Millsap me is, too. Yep. is great for who he is. Like you know, he's he's aging a little bit, but he's he's a very solid player. High on Murray, high on Harris, high on Barton, um, and yeah, I think I think they're they're they are going to benefit from cohesion. They have they lost some players, yes, but their starting lineup is the same for the most part. And you see some of these other teams in the Western Conference having to deal with uh, not necessarily drastic roster changes, but, I mean, the Pelicans don't have DeMarcus Cousins anymore. They right. brought in Alfred Payton instead of Rondo. Um, Portland's dealing without having Ed Davis. The Clippers have essentially an entirely different roster because it was all hurt last year. I mean, we know about L.A., the Spurs, like – the 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 Nuggets are going to benefit a lot, I think, from the continuity of their roster. So three and zero start is is very encouraging. Well, them. and you mentioned those three guards there, or well, I guess you could argue one's a small four, but in, right. in all reality, those are three guards. And you know, each one of them could score on any given night. Now they mm-hmm. won't all consistently score, and maybe that is part of the downfall for the Nuggets. But the fact that you have three guys that can consistently score at some point or another every single game is a huge bonus. When I think the two best players, you would probably say, are I mean, Jokic and uh, Millsap. I mean, like that's that's kind of the two best players on the team, and yet you have three guys that you know are going to get points. Like that's I, I, I think that team's going to be consistent. I'm excited to see the defense do as well as it is. So to me, they're the most surprising undefeated team, if only because we knew they'd be good, but maybe not as good as they've shown through these first three games of the season. Right. We'll go over to the inverse. There are five teams that have not won a game yet this season. I'll be curious to hear your opinion, Alex, as to which one is the most surprising of the winless teams as far as their record goes. That one, that one's a little tough because there aren't a lot of. I mean, so the so the teams are Washington, Chicago, Cleveland, the Lakers, and OKC. Um, I want to say the Lakers because I think they're the best of the group. Mm-hmm. Um. But they play against Portland, you know, first game, which was not easy. And then they played against Houston. Again, difficult matchup. 
I'm a little surprised Washington hasn't gotten a win yet. Um, you know, Miami and Toronto weren't great matchups for them. It's I don't know if any of these teams is like necessarily more surprising than the other to me. I mean, the OKC was out Russell Westbrook. Right. Um, well, that's but, the that's the thing with these five teams is that you can make a case for everyone as to why they're undefeated. Of course, or I'm sorry, undefeated, winless. Obviously, Westbrook, Thunder. That's that's a huge part of their team that's out. Of course, they're going to be zero three. I understand that. Well, maybe not of course, but they're not going to have a winning record over yeah, that stretch. They lost last night to the Kings. Yeah, with Westbrook, that, that shouldn't happen. That that so shouldn't. maybe they. To me, I guess I guess if I had to pick one, yeah. OKC because they had Westbrook and they lost to Sacramento. Yeah, and, and the Bulls are bad. I mean, we we know they're bad. Right. They're going to be bad. I, the Cavs, you know, I thought they'd be better than what we've seen right now, but they're probably on the cusp of making the playoffs without LeBron James, and I think that's kind of what you're expecting for this season, unless they make some drastic changes. Right. To to me. It's between the Wizards and the Lakers, and, mm-hmm. and I, I was anticipating the Wizards be a little bit better. Now we see John Wall kind of healthy, uh, pseudo healthy, I should say, and yeah. Bradley Beal is is still kind of doing his thing. I, that team isn't great, but that's a team that should be four, five, six seed in the Eastern Conference, right? Yeah, and um, it, part of the issue I think is Dwight Howard being out because you're replacing him with Jan Mahinmi, who just really historically is not good, right? Um, and but isn't that a concern if you're you're saying, oh, my God, we're 0-2 because Dwight Howard wasn't playing? Like, we're in the NBA. This is 2018-2019 season, right. and we're depending on Dwight Howard. That's yes. that's a concern, almost like you're in the 2018-2019 season, you're depending on JaVale McGee, right. who I also am not a huge fan of, and we can, di- we can differentiate on that the whole time. But I think th- that's a concern. That's a concern if we're worried that the Wizards have struggled because Dwight Howard hasn't been able to be active because he historically isn't. He doesn't get healthy. Right. And I think there's some concern that Austin Rivers and Jeff Green are averaging more shot attempts than Otto Porter. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> no. Otto Porter's averaging eight shots a game. I'm not sure why that number's that low. All I heard about all year was, hey, we want to shoot more threes. And then the only people shooting threes are like, other than other than Bradley Beal, you have John Wall, Jeff Green, and Austin Rivers taking more threes than Otto Porter. That's not how you can, you can't run an offense like that. That doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm going to sound really old. I'm 25 years old, so I'm not old. But I'm going to sound really old. I remember when Otto Porter was like the next big thing that we could. He was a, a linchpin in a lot of different trades potentially for the Wizards. And I don't even think it's that he's bad. I think the Wizards haven't really been able to capitalize on the potential that he has. Oh, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think you need to get him. Yeah. He should be leading your team in three point attacks. Absolutely. He's an amazing knockdown. I mean, he. He's over 43% from three over the past two seasons. You, I mean, you need to be getting that guy as many threes as possible. He's the quintessential 3 and D player in today's age, and yet he's not being utilized that on a Wizards team that needs 3 and D players. Right, and he, you can do really well if Otto Porter is your third best player, and that's the issue the Wizards have been running into is they've really struggled, but Otto Porter is their third best player, and I think you can do better than that. And so I guess the issue for them becomes are John Wall and Bradley Beal good enough of a one two to make it past the first round of the playoffs and i think that's being brought into question at this point yeah i agree and we'll have to kind of see how it all unfolds like we talk about the grizzlies as kind of dictating what happens a lot in the nba i think the wizards could as well dictate what happens there's a possibility that either wall or beal or both get traded to a team that might be looking for a point guard or a shooting guard you know that, that could make a difference because i think wall and beal are talented but at this point we've kind of seen what the course of action is with the wizards and it's not exactly a productive partnership wouldn't you say 
I agree. I uh, I was kind of interested. I I think towards the beginning of the year, right when the Jimmy Butler news started to arrive, yeah. we had an early mm-hmm. season roundtable, and we're kind of looking for dark horse potential teams for Jimmy Butler, and I said Washington, and kind of a deal that would be very similar to what Toronto did for Kawhi, where it's like, okay, we're going to try this. We're going to go for it this one year. And then if it doesn't work, then we'll have cap flexibility because this roster as it stands doesn't, it's not doing anything. Right. And I thought maybe if you bring in Jimmy Butler, you might have to send out Bradley Beal or Otto Porter, but then you would have John Wall, Jimmy Butler, and at least one of Otto Porter or Bradley Beal. Um, And I thought that might be worthwhile for them, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But you never know. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. And, I, so I obviously I'm taking the Wizards in that discussion as far as surprising winless teams, and that's more because I mean the Lakers are owned to LeBron James there, but I don't think that team is that good, and LeBron historically has lost every game on his new team, whether it was the Cavs or Heat or Lakers. So I just think that the Lakers are going to play it a little bit safe with LeBron at least early on. The minutes don't have to be there. This is not a contrary to what a lot of people are saying. This is not a we're just forgetting about this year. I think the Lakers really do want to compete. I think it's a very important, especially for LeBron. I think he has too much pride to do anything else but compete. But the championship aspirations are not there like it has been for other previous seasons. And I, I just think the Lakers are not going to be as good of a team as a lot of people are anticipating. Right. And I think, I think this year more than anything else is about finding out which young players play best with LeBron. Bingo. Um, because inevitably they're going to move on from one or more of them. Um, and I think they're all kind of up for grabs to some extent. Um, but yeah, I think, I think figuring out who meshes best with LeBron, um, who's averaging 38 minutes a game right now, by the way, um, is, is their primary goal for this year. Which one of the Laker young guys is the most intriguing if you are another team? Obviously we know all the potential that's there for Ingram, Ball, Kuzma, even Hart to some extent. But if you're a rival team and you're trying to build a NBA franchise in today's day and age, which one are you most excited to acquire or kind of hope that they fall out of favor with LeBron and Lakers? I think Ingram. I mean, I think Ingram has the most upside as a two-way player. People compare him to Paul George to some extent. He can handle the ball a little bit. Um, he's shot the three relatively well. Um, yeah, like I said, steal and block upside. Um, honestly, I like all of their young guys. So... And I think they do too, which I think makes it such a hard decision. It makes it difficult, yeah. And I think I think teams would be interested in any of these guys, especially they probably think they could maybe steal Josh Hart for a lower price relative to what they could get the other guys. Um, if we're talking, I mean, if we're talking positionally, Kyle Kuzma makes the least amount of sense. I think with LeBron, with LeBron. maybe Ingram because Ingram's a is a ball handler, but Kuzma's a four, LeBron's a four. Right. This is kind of the issue that I thought. I mean, the Cavs won a championship, so I can't, I can't really be like this roster construction by the Cavs was not thought out. <laughs> but Kevin Love was a four, and LeBron was a four, and so that that was kind of a weird defensive situation. LeBron's mm-hmm. not great guarding wings anymore, and so I would imagine that the Lakers would want Brandon Ingram to stay so he can guard wing players, um, so LeBron doesn't have to. Um, I have yeah. two things with the, the young player question before we kind of get to our DFS stuff, or really we can even talk about the suspension aspect too, which sure. the, you know, the melee in LA or yeah, whatever you want to call it. It was, it was a joke. Anyway, I, I I'm, I'm stunned. I met, 
uh, Ingram, and I, I'll say met, quote-unquote, because I walked by him. And it was actually when we were at our uh, Vegas retreat his rookie year, and he was playing oh, at Vegas. Okay. Uh, and just walked by, and he um, – well, I, I won't really say the conversation that we had because it probably would get somebody in trouble, either me or Ingram. But we got to talk a little bit, and I talked to one of his other friends too, and it was it was a pretty cool experience. But to me, I'm it feels like he's lost weight in his NBA career. How is that possible? This guy looks I mean, literal definition of a string bean. Right. I, I don't know how this is possible that you know, with today's technology that he hasn't put on any ounce of muscle, and I think that really impacts what he can do in the NBA until that happens. I think so too. I mean, he is, yeah, he's, a, he's extremely skinny. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I know that can, that, that keeps, uh, that keeps wearing tear off your knees, stuff like that. But um, with, I mean, we've seen this with Giannis to some extent when you, cause Brandon Ingram is also very like long player. He can put mm -hmm. his arm up and he's basically dunking. If you are able to add muscle on top of that, you just run through people with your hand in the air and the ball, and nobody can like do anything about right. it. You get in that layup position. I think um, that's that might be holding him back from you know being able to uh, get some and one layups, get in the paint, and and be physical that way. Which is to say that that's why I think Ingram is the most tantalizing. And why I think the Lakers will keep him is because if really all that's holding him back is adding weight, it shouldn't be that hard. It, sh it shouldn't be that big of an issue. And he's flexible enough as a player. He can be a slasher like Giannis, potentially. Certainly not to the extent of Giannis, but a capable enough one. I think he can be an outside shooter much better than Giannis. I, I, yes. I really believe he can provide that kind of aspect. And he's really a, a moldable player yet. And again, if the only thing holding him back is adding weight... That should be easy enough to do, especially in the NBA today. So I like him as far as the best prospect to stick in the Lakers. I would actually lean towards Lonzo as the guy that ends up being traded or, or most interesting trade aspect. And I, I still wonder if LeVar wasn't around, how well how, how much more intriguing would Lonzo be to a lot of different teams? Like, Not that the Bucks would ever trade for Lonzo Ball, but if they hadn't acquired Eric Bledsoe and if there was a situation where Lonzo was available, they would probably you know, go do a lot of different things to acquire a guy like that. Cause he is a right. talented point guard and I, the distractions off the court aside, we know what he is capable as a player. I don't think he fits as a guy around LeBron. That, that to me is the aspect. I understand they want more ball handlers and they want to take LeBron off that aspect. I get it completely. I think that's where LeBron's best at. He, I want the ball in LeBron's hands right. all the time. And really I think when Lonzo is best is when the ball is in his hands. And I just don't know. There's only one basketball, you know, there's only one basketball out there. And I, that's where I get confused. And I don't understand where he fits in that aspect. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, I would, and I and I think Lonzo. It would either be between Lonzo and Ingram as guys. I think would be most intriguing if they essentially, like quote unquote, had their own team. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, true. And we, I mean, we we saw that to some extent last year. But the Lakers also had so many young players that it was a little more egalitarian. It wasn't like Lonzo and a bunch of no names. Like it wasn't like Ingram and a bunch of no names. It was all those guys and Randall and Hart was there and, and KCP was doing that and, and Brooke Lopez was there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think you're right in that, especially if Lonzo ball can't hit threes. Right. If, if he struggles from three again, which he hasn't, he's, he, he shot really well um, the other day against Houston. I think he went four for eight. The shot looks a little different, looks improved. If he can shoot threes at a respectable rate, it becomes less of an issue because he can spot up. Right. If he can't spot up, then you essentially need him to be on the ball, and then it becomes a real issue. I guess just, again, the, the brilliance that is Lonzo Ball, and I really think there is some there, 
gets mitigated when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And right. a LeBron team at its best has LeBron with the ball. Again, I understand in the regular season not wanting to have him uh, take as much of a load, and frankly, even offensively, but it's not like LeBron's going to be a spot-up shooter at any point in his career. That's just not what he's good at, or not what not what he's best at, I should say. He can do everything, and he's yeah. LeBron James, but it's not what he's best at. And if your team is trying to win, you want LeBron to have the ball in the hands, and I don't think you want Lonzo to be the spot-up shooter on a team. Like This is not, not ideal. This is not ideal. So that, that's that's where I, I lean towards. And of course, you know, like Josh Hart is interesting, and I think an intriguing player, but I actually think he can work around LeBron. And if you were to acquire him, if you're a, a rival team asking about young players, I don't know how much you'd have to give up to actually get a guy like that. Like, he isn't the centerpiece of a trade for Jimmy Butler, would he? No, I mean, the the Wolves are going to have to get more than that. Right. And, I mean, unless, I mean, yeah, because... There's mitigating circumstances that can make it... Would it be that a you, rental right. or stuff like that? I mean, and I was surprised even to hear how that Heat deal almost came to place with the Butler and how little they were giving up. And I like Josh Richardson. Me too. I like him a lot. I thought that was very little that they would have to give up. So maybe there's a situation where Hart would be that. But that's what I'm kind of going with that. A centerpiece Lonzo Baller, uh, you know, Ingram trade makes more sense than it would be a, a Hart trade. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, let's get to our DFS lineups, and I'll preface this by saying, A, that these are not final. We don't have a lot of the lineup locks coming in, and I know I like to do a lot of stinker tinkering when it comes right. to setting my lineup, but these are guys that we just kind of identify and like. And, of course, basketball season is around the corner, and we partner up with DraftKings to provide you at the RotoWire user six-month memberships for free. So here's how it works. You go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings, you sign up for a new account, and you make a $10 deposit or more. That's right. You'll get six months access to all tools and sports on rotowire.com, not just NBA stuff, but all of them, which includes DFS lineup optimizers, weekly rankings, premium articles from yours truly over to the right side of me, uh, who does the DFS stuff for us. Did you just do a FanDuel one today? Monday and Tuesday, I do FanDuel. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. I mean, obviously, we're DraftKings sponsored, and we're going to tout them, but I play on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're (laughs) a switch hitter. That's all right. Yeah, Yeah. I'm a switch hitter. Exactly. Yeah. So you can get the DFS lineup optimizers, weekly rankings, premium articles, full season draft software, and much more, all for $10, which you can get then enter into contests to potentially win more. We're super excited to bring you this deal, and if you want access right away, go to rotoware.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. Disclaimer, eligibility restrictions apply, new DraftKings users only, and see DraftKings.com for more details. All right, so let's just discuss the significant injuries, and again, we're filming this at, or recording this at 1.10 Central Time, so there's not a lot to discuss right now. Kyle Anderson is questionable with an illness. He's taken nine shots in 39 minutes across two games, so... Do you have any confidence in any one of the members of the Grizzlies? We talked a lot about Triple J as a guy that benefits from this, but do you any confidence that anyone capitalizes if Anderson misses time? No. I, I <laughs> no, mean, neither do I. If we're, be, if we're being honest, like I'm, I'm putting Jaron Jackson Jr. in my lineup, but it's not in any way related to Kyle Anderson missing. Because, I mean, it's like who's going to take, you know, who's going to take nine more shots? It could be anybody. I mean, really. Right. He's only been playing 20 minutes a game. I mean, we're talking about – it could be Garrett Temple, who played really well, strangely, last time out. Uh, Dylan Brooks has barely seen the floor. Marshawn Brooks is liable to come in and, like, shoot 15 shots in five minutes. Like, I just – I really have no confidence in anybody. So, in a weird way, if Kyle Anderson's out, I don't even care. It No. It doesn't affect things. And, I mean, like, I'm not slotting Garrett Temple into my lineup, even if he ends up getting there. Like, there's not – I know we just talked uh, – we spent probably 10 minutes talking about the Grizzlies and how they're different offensively, but – I still have a just an uncomfortable suspicion that that's not a 
team I really want to target offensively for DFS purposes. Right. I mean, if you're playing 15 different lineups, sure, throw one or two of those extra Grizzlies <laughs> right. in there, like for for some exposure. But I'm playing two lineups today. I'm not. I don't feel like taking that risk. This is a bit more of an intriguing injury, and you know, uh, listeners of the podcast from a couple of years prior will understand this reference. But Fast and Furious Dom Sabonis did not play Saturday against the Nets, and that kind of allowed Kyle Quinn to get some minutes, and he actually capitalized: sixteen points, eight rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you put this in the outline, but it's the most typical Kyle Quinn stat line imaginable. That is absolutely true. That's exactly what he would do. And of course, just under 20 minutes. I would be interested in Kyle Quinn if we knew that Sabonis was going to be out. I agree. I mean, you know, he only got one block, but we know he's liable to get more blocks. That beard alone that. is capable of getting a block. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it, th- this is a, is, a, is a good point to keep in mind. With steals and blocks were three points. Anybody that you... You know, if you have if you're trying to debate between two different players and you think one player has more of an upside in terms of steals and blocks, it's and if he gets one of each, that's six fantasy points. That's significant. So guys like Kyle O'Quinn um, are definitely when we're talking low price guys, um, because of his defensive abilities, makes a lot of sense as a as a risk. Yeah, I I, I like again. I like him quite a bit. We have to figure out first if Sabonis is going to be playing right. or not, and that, if he is active. I don't think O'Quinn has nearly as much upside potential, but if we're talking like a tournament setting, why not go with a guy that could easily get two blocks in a game? Like I don't, I don't think it's a stretch at all if he's playing twenty-five minutes, thirty minutes, right? No, no, yeah, it's not a question. Yeah, so I'm, I, again, we have to see if he gets thirty minutes or get close to that. But that's a guy that I'm monitoring quite a bit. The highest price guys for today's, today's slate, of course, Giannis going against the Knicks at eleven thousand one hundred. He does slide in that small forward and power forward, right? Or is it small forward and shooting guard? Uh, my guess would be the forward spots. Okay, yeah, that's what that's what I thought too. I know when we were setting our lineups today, it was he had position eligibility in both those areas, and I couldn't figure out which one. And LeBron versus the Spurs at ten thousand five hundred. Uh, Durant versus the Suns at ten thousand four hundred, and Curry versus the Suns at ten thousand one hundred. Of course, the Warriors are coming off that loss, which you mentioned earlier, which mm. may or may not may may or may not motivate them through four games of the season. I don't know. It's, right. It's, you can pick your poison as to which way you think the Warriors are going to kind of attack this game against the Suns, but that kind of is a good launching point as to what you think for this DFS slate tonight. Do you think that the it'll be a competitive game, or do you think the Warriors are going to be blowing out the Suns? They they do have the largest spread. They're, they're minus 12 against the Suns. Um, this isn't the Suns of last year. I do. I mean, I think that's a I think that's an important preface. The, they have competitive players. They have Trevor Ariza on the wing. They have Josh Jackson playing defense. Um, this team, I think, is competitive. And not to say that the Warriors won't blow them out by 25, because that's always there's, there's always the, Yeah. Um, but when you get into double-digit spreads, that's that's pretty significant for two professional basketball teams. And yeah. so um, I wouldn't be surprised if the game was closer than this. Um, I think the over-under will be very high. So um, I would not, you know, generally I'm not, I play, I usually play in tournaments. Generally, I'm not a person who plays these very high price guys. Um, But I think Durant uh, or Curry are are fair options. Well, you talk about the over-under and actually the Bulls Mavs have the highest at 229 and a half and the Magic Celtics 210 as well. So like, I mean, there's, there's other options besides this one. If you were concerned that the Warriors could end up blowing up the Suns and end up pulling their guys or you know, maybe one of them's off. We talked about, we didn't really get a chance to mention Clay Thompson, but he's been historically bad behind three point line right now. And that's an area where I thought you would want to target against the Suns, but he's been so bad these first two games or so that I don't know if I feel comfortable going that route today. 
No, I I generally I generally stay clear of Clay Thompson and DFS. I usually lean more towards players who have the ball in their hands um, and have opportunities for assists or get rebounds and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So, um, you know, I mean, if if you're a person who you know who uh, likes to lean on regression to the mean and thinks his price is too low based on his performance, then sure, you know, put Clay Thompson in your lineup. Um, but I think there are, I think there are better options at, at similar prices. Before we get to our lineups, we'll kind of go with a, this guy or that guy, uh, for the guard forward and center spot. We'll start first with Zach Levine or Donovan Mitchell. So Zach's going against the Mavericks list at 7,100 on DraftKings and Donovan Mitchell against the Grizzlies, who we spent a lot of time talking about 7,800 that jazz versus Grizzlies matchup, even three years ago, you're staying as far away from possible in DFS. Do you feel comfortable staying away from it today though? Um, I don't, I, so I wrote in, in my FanDuel article for today that in FanDuel, at least I'm looking at Joe Ingles, um, because I don't, until either of these jazz or Grizzlies teams prove to me that they're actually playing slow, then I'm just going to act like they're like every other team. And they do have a relatively low over under compared to the rest of, of the slate. Um, but honestly, I, I kind of like Levine here. If we're talking value for the price, Levine at 71 versus Mitchell at 78. Levine's been averaging 43 DraftKings points, Mitchell at 33. My main concern with Levine is that Chris Dunn is coming back. Chris Dunn's going to yeah. play. He hasn't been playing. Um, but as of right now, I think, like we talked, like Bulls Mavs has the highest over-under. We know Zach Levine has the ball in his hands. He loves to shoot. Um, and I, I would... I think I would lean more towards Levine. Levine isn't giving you much in the other categories. I mean, he's getting a ton of points, but he's not really giving you much in the rebounds and the assists. And there's the issue, I think, that comes into play with that. But still, for 700 or less in a matchup you know was going to be high scoring, where we still have some reservations about the Grizzlies, Jazz, or at least I do, I'm going with Levine all the way. And I understand the risk that comes with Chris Dunn coming back. I also understand that they're probably going to take it a little bit slower with Chris Dunn, given Bulls really don't have a lot to compete for in this situation. And I think you want a guy like Levine to shine, particularly since you spent so much money on him during the offseason that it kind of behooves you, at least to the fan base and also to the organization, to get a guy that you've spent $100 million on to do successful things like score 28 points a game or whatever. So I, I, right. I'm i leaning that direction. I don't think it stops even with Chris Dunn coming back. I just think maybe maybe there's more potential for him to get stats other than points. I agree. That would be the way I'd look at it. Yeah, I agree. We'll look over the four matchup, Jaron Jackson Jr. versus the Jazz at 5,200, or Bobby Portis at 6,600 against the the Mavericks. Again, we talk about this Grizzlies-Jazz, and I think, of course, the Bulls and Mavericks. This is kind of a a linchpin, so to speak, for your DFS lineups. And it's an interesting question to have because Bobby Portis is still in that starting spot with with Lauren out now. yeah, apparently we're on a first name basis with Lauren. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I I like Portis here, but I'm I'm curious to hear what your perspective is. Uh, the secret answer is both because they're both in my Ooh. lineup for today. <laughs> um, but I think I think that yeah, this is really tough. This is clearly tough because I put them both in. Um, I and I wrote this not really even having an answer. I thought I would think of one on the spot, and it's giving me as much trouble now. <laughs> but I think I would lean Jaron Jackson Jr. because he's I mean he's fourteen hundred dollars right. cheaper. And I think they both have 40-point upside, and that's a lot of what I look for. So um, it's, it is going to be a slower-paced game, but um, I, I, I could definitely see Memphis leaning on Jackson about as much as Chicago leans on Portis. And we know Jackson's going to get the minutes. Um, so if you had to choose one, 
Um, I think I would lean Jaron Jackson Jr. I go from it. I look at it from a 50-50 perspective, and okay. I think that Bobby Portis probably gives you a bit of a safer upside. Right. And at 6,600, if you look at the other power forward options in particular on today's slate, unless you're paying up high, you're not getting anything cheap. And I, I'm, no. I'm trying to find cheap options, and I was able to get some small forwards in there, and, and you could kind of talk me into a shooting guard. But power forward was ugly, and it was a really difficult position. Uh, to me, it was Bobby Portis hands down as more of a, yeah, we know what he'll give you kind of thing, whereas I actually feel pretty confident I know what I'm going to get from Jaron Jackson. But just the upside and, and safer projections, I, I feel confident with Bobby Portis there. Sure. We'll go over to the center for the final question, Ennis Canner versus the Milwaukee Bucks, or DeAndre Ayton versus the Warriors. I mean, 7,300 for Cantor, 6,800 for the uh, Ayton. I don't know. I, I like Canner quite a bit here. This is, I mean, this was a really close one for me. Um, I like Ayton in this matchup because I don't think the Warriors really have anybody skilled enough to guard him consistently. Um, he played really well against them in the preseason. I know it's the preseason. Right. I think that game against the Nuggets, I think that was Saturday or was that Friday? Either way, the second game where Aiden played against Jokic, that has a chance to be his worst line of the year. One of his, like one of his worst games of the year. So the chances that this is the lowest price you'll see DeAndre Ayton at, I think, I think there's a good chance. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm botching this phrasing. I think 6,800 is has a chance of being the lowest price you see DeAndre Ayton at mm. for the rest of the mm. year. Okay. And so I would pick Ayton because I think that you are going to have a hard time getting this value for him ever again. I think that value for cancer is just always going to be there. I would agree. I would agree with that. And again, I, I think it's because I'm thinking from a 50, 50 perspective, oh, that's fine. Yeah. but you know, I mean, he's averaging 43 and a half points. Canner is. And I'm thinking of the bucks as last year and they were just so susceptible to that center spot overall because you had John Henson or Thon Maker trying to box out mm-hmm. people, and it just was never good. And a bunch of rebounds. I think Canner is a walking double double, mm-hmm. and I still think in this matchup, even with Brook Lopez kind of round and Henson seemingly improving, I still think Canner is going to get the boards and he's going to get the points. Other than Tim Hardaway, there isn't a more consistent score on that next team. So I know it's only 500 less, but I think Canner is. Just, I mean, he's a guaranteed. 40 points seems low for what I'll be projecting for him tonight against the Bucks. Sure, I'll I'll offer one counterpoint. And that's that since Brooke Lopez shoots threes, Cantor's going to be guarding him away from the rim. And so I don't think a lot of those rebounds defensively are going to fall into his hands as much as they will players on the wing. And I say this because I got burned by playing Jared Allen against the Pacers (laughs) uh, the other day because Miles Turner shoots threes. Jared Allen spent all of his time just hanging out at the three point line Mm -hmm. because they, the, you know, the Pacers brought him out there because he had to guard Miles Turner. And I think you're looking at the same situation. Brooke Lopez just hangs out around the three-point line for the Bucs. Um, so I would be worried about Cantor's rebounding upside specifically for this game um, and also his shot-blocking upside, which he's not much of a shot-blocker, but that's there as well. I'll counter to your counter. Perfect. Lopez only has 20 minutes played. I mean, that's what he's averaging so Fair far enough. for the Bucs. So, like, it, yeah, I understand that risk, and frankly, he'll be doing that when he's out there, but how long is he out there? Henson certainly isn't giving any from the three-point line, and if they do give minutes to Maker, yeah, he'll do that. But I think where those two of the three guys are best at is near the paint, and I think Canner is going to have to do that too. So right. we'll run through our lineups quickly again, subject to change because we're doing this at one o'clock, so we don't quite right. know where all the injuries are going to happen. But I love Damian Lillard against the Wizards. It's eighty-six hundred. He's my highest-priced player. 
Uh, and of course, there's Steph Curry that's out there at, at 10,100, like we mentioned earlier. But as far as point guards go for the best value, I think Lillard's going to give that to you in spades, particularly on DraftKings where you get the three pointers kind of yes. roared a bit more. I think he's going to be in line for a double double because I anticipate it's high scoring and the assist potentials there. So he's my highest price guy, and I like it quite a bit. Flip side, I have Bradley Beal as my shooting guard, though, for that same particular reason. And I understand your concern with Clay Thompson not getting the ball. I think to some extent Beal is the same way as a three-point shooter. He just doesn't have the ball in his hands. But at 7,000, I think higher higher scoring game, Wizards kind of need to get this win, right? I mean, yeah. this is this is going to be a competitive game, and I think they kind of have to go all out. So I like it at 7,000 quite a bit. I was able to squeeze in Michael Kilgood. Michael Kidd Gilchrist and squeeze, I say jokingly, because he's at 3,700. Right. He's been averaging 25 or 24 uh, DraftKings points per game, and he's been kind of an important piece on that bench for the Hornets against the Raptors, where maybe this could be a sneaky competitive game. I like him quite a bit. So I'm going there as my cheap option at small forward. Power forward, we talked about Portis. Canner is my center. Josh Hart, we talked about him as far as trade bait goes. Fantasy-wise, he'll be okay at 5,100 against the Spurs. Oh, and yeah. That, that that's f- fine value for me. And the other kind of cheaper guy I like is Dorian Finney-Smith against the Bulls, strictly based on the over-under matchup. Uh, and he's going to be starting for the, the Mavs. So I like that. And rounding up my lineup is Alex Gordon against the Cavs. He's gotten, I think, over 45 fantasy points in each one of the DraftKings games so far. So give me Alex Gordon against a, a Celtics team. I said Cavs early. Celtics where I think someone's got to score for the Magic, and I think it'll be Gordon. So that's that's my lineup for tonight. Yeah, I actually I I didn't really consider MKG, but now that I see it, I mean I could really see them plugging MKG on Kawhi Leonard for a lot of the game. So yeah. maybe MKG sees the most minutes that he's seen all year. I think maybe he gets thirty plus minutes guarding Kawhi. So um, I think yeah, when you're when you're talking like close to minimum price guys, mm-hmm. minutes are a huge factor. Right. So I think um, and you'll probably have low ownership is my guess. So I think that's a good call. Um, and you play more of a fifty fifty. That's just what I tend to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a safer guy. I don't like to risk it all. That's okay. my problem. I, I think that's just important <laughs> to note because I, I usually play tournaments. So right. So everyone should be listening to your lineup and not mine. No, no, no. No, because you, you get no I'll say it. Yeah, you get different uh, depending on what style of you get perspectives, you like to play. Yeah. Yeah. Different perspectives. So at point guard, I have Lonzo Ball against San Antonio uh, at 5,500. Um Concerns are there, you know, with with LeBron being there and everything like that. But with Ingram and Rondo out, um, we know Ball is triple double upside. He can get blocks and steals. Um, he shot well from three, so I feel pretty good about this price. I also have Josh Hart in my lineup. We talked about him. I have Tim Hardaway Jr. against Milwaukee uh, at seventy one hundred. He basically takes twenty to twenty five shots a game. Kevin Knox is out now, so he might. Tim Hardaway might shoot even more somehow. <laughs> Uh, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. against Utah. We discussed that. He's at 5,200. I have JaVale McGee against the Spurs at 4,900. Um, a guy who has just a ton of upside as far as blocks go. He gives you that three points in the steals and blocks pretty easily. That's that's a fair statement. He hasn't gotten a double-double yet. I, it's very possible for him to reach that. I don't think San Antonio has the athleticism at center to compete with him. Um, so I think that's a strong opportunity for him there. I have Kyle Lowry against Charlotte at 7,600. Um, Kyle Lowry is a – I really just didn't play him much last year in DFS. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like he's – I mean, him and Kawhi are really their only offensive options. Absolutely. That Absolutely. can handle the ball. So I feel good about um, that. He has 40 to 50 point upside. Uh, Bobby Portis at 6,600 against Dallas. We talked about him. 
and I went with Jimmy Butler um, against Indiana at 8,000. To me, that felt low. Yeah. Um, I almost lock in Jimmy Butler for 35 to 40 fantasy points a game. And maybe it's because he'll be going against Victor Oladipo, which is not an easy matchup at all. Tough defensive matchup. But um, I felt like that at Jimmy Butler at, at 8,000 is uh, you're getting a good price there. Yeah. And I, again, back to the pace of game thing where we started the podcast with, you know, a, a Timberwolves versus Pacers game, you wouldn't anticipate being a high scoring one. But in today's NBA, it absolutely is. And especially right. with Oladipo having the potential to go off. Somebody has to match that for the Timberwolves side of things. And Butler is a very capable player, especially for AK. I mean, that's you talk about five times the value. He just has to get 40 DraftKings points. That that feels pretty confident that, that he could do that. So your lineup, uh, highest featured players, Jimmy Butler at 8,000, uh, Kyle Lowry 7,600, and then Tim Hardaway at 7,100. My lineup features Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, and Alex Gordon as my three highest price players. So that does it for us in the Monday NBA, uh, well, I was going to say DFS podcast, but it's more of the NBA just podcast in general for RotoWire. Right. We'll be back again next Monday to talk more NBA, DFS, maybe more uh, potential punch outs with the, the Lakers and Rockets. Who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll talk again on the flip side. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.